Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Agnethe Gron, Senior Design Anthropologist at Alexandra Institute in Copenhagen and speaker at the Responsibility Summit happening on May 20 and 21st. We talked to Agnethe about her recent research on an algorithm journey model which will be presented at the upcoming summit. The method has been created using service design tools and allows to map the algorithm journey in order to identify the touchpoints relevant to different stakeholders. One thing is claiming an explanation, another thing is giving an explanation that makes sense, says Agnethe. In order to implement AI in an ethical way, we need to decide what do we expect from a human and why is it different from what we expect from an algorithm. No less relevant question, according to Agnet, is how much transparency do we really need? We are curious to learn more about the method and the insights you took away from the research. Finally, we asked Agnethe, what is it about the summit that makes it feel like a place to return to each year and what should potential participants expect? We hope you enjoy it. Uh, hi, friends. We are here today with uh, Agnethe. Hi, Agnethe. Hi, Corina. You are one of the wonderful speakers at the Responsibility Conference now, um, which is uh, actually the third edition. Uh, we've been with the conference since the beginning, since it was called um, Anthropology and Technology. So um, I'm very curious to hear more about what you will be speaking to at the conference. But maybe before that, uh, tell me and our listeners a, a little bit about who you are and, and what kind of keeps you alive in this world. Well, uh, I have a background in uh, anthropology and uh, I work in the field, I would call it applied and uh, creative anthropology because, uh, yeah, I think what uh, drives me is uh, curiosity to understand people and to co connect and communicate with different people. So it's not only understanding them uh, through anthropological uh, tools and methods, But it's also how can I uh, represent these people in a, sometimes a creative way, which tools can I use? And uh, so I mix anthropology with design and, and communications. Wonderful. What, what motivates you for, um, for being one of the speakers? Like what, what, what do you find interesting in, the, in, in saying yes to the call of this conference? Yeah, uh, I joined the conference two years ago in Bristol. And it, when I, um, before the conference, I just started to um, be part of a, a project about uh, explainable AI. And uh, I had a new job where I started working with technology. Um, and I was, um, yeah, I thought it was an important job I, I had. But, but after the conference, I just really had this uh, feeling of this is what I, I have to do. It's, it's so meaningful and, uh, and and I think being part of uh, it's kind of a community you have there with anthropologists and technologists and inspire each other I think that's extremely important yeah, yeah I'm honored to, to to contribute 
I, I find it so wonderful the way you express the value of the conference for you. It's, 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 I would imagine it's one of the highest compliments that, 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 that you would give to an organizer, um, that it, it creates that meaning for you and to the point that you're coming back. So, uh, yeah, wonderful. And tell me a little bit about what you will be speaking to at the conference. What is it? What is, what is the space that you will engage us in? It's a, yeah, it's about how you can ex- uh, how you can uh, develop explainable AI in a meaningful way. So, so it's about uh, we made a study, and I've been part of cross cross disciplinary team where we worked about how do we open the black box and uh, gives explanations and transparency to to algorithms in artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. And uh, my colleagues who are data scientists, they have several tools and uh, ways to create this t- transparency. But based on a, a field work we did among yeah, ophthalmologists and uh, opticians, we found out that it's not so easy to say this is the explanation people need for that algorithm. There are several uh, needs and, uh, and to to try to see, okay, what kind of explanation do you need? Is it this specific local explanation? Or is it more about which data, the quality of the data you put into it? Uh, So we had a a great amount of uh, qualitative data, but it was pointing in so many directions. So we had this idea for uh, as a, a tool for analysis to use some tools for service design. And this way we have built a method uh, to to make like not a human in the loop, but machine or algorithm in the loop. So we have built it like a, a journey for this algorithm with some different touch points to different stakeholders. So this method is uh, is what I want to present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think about the, the method? Like what, what, what does the method do that is kind of different from previous um, processes that they had used? I think it, it creates, it, it builds like a bridge mm. from the different stakeholders to the data scientists who are going to develop an explanation. So, so it, it, it creates an awareness of what kind of explanation is needed here. Mm. Uh, and not only what, what kind of transparency do we need to make, but also how do we need to... Um, to communicate it, and it can yeah. be from from the end user to a, a gatekeeper to the one who works with this algorithm on daily basis. So we, we yeah. had like it was like six different touch points. So it's also a very visual model. So it it makes people okay. If you need to make transparency, where do they need transparency? Because actually, it's impossible to make transparency. For the whole algorithm, mm-hmm. it, it yeah. might sound uh, just talking about it. It might sound quite uh, abstract, but but uh, at this conference, I'm going to like present the visual model. It's it's a very visual method, and uh, and looking at yeah. it, my experience is that it makes a lot of sense. I I 100% believe you. Um, I, I I wonder what do you expect the stories to provoke in in the in the participants? Like what would be let's say. Um, uh, the outcome that you would that you would like to see in in the other. 
I would like uh, people to think here's a, a way to start uh, working with applying explainable AI. So it's like a finger fit as a, a bridge you can make as an anthropologist when you work in a, a multidisciplinary team or you work with clients. So it's like one of one method to start when you want to implement AI in an ethical way. Then you can start mapping this algorithm journey. Yeah, so so that kind of gives increases the agency to the anthropologist at the table, right? Exactly. To to engage in the in the in the process of uh, algorithm development. Yes, uh, it is, and and, and then it's uh, also it's uh, like a, a tool for for conversation between uh, mm. maybe you as a anthrop- an anthropologist or a designer, you can use this to uh, to map what's the need and the interest of the different stakeholders who interact with this uh, AI model. And yeah. then the data scientists yeah. who are going to, to create transparency. Yeah. I have a question, but I, I I hope I'm saying it correctly. So bear with me as I'm building it in my head. I, I'm, I'm very fascinated in the process of also translation that happens when you are in a multidisciplinary team. You know, like you speak from the, as an anthropologist, you speak from your own kind of vocabulary and ways of looking at the world. And data sciences also speaks from their vocabulary and their kind of dictionary. And and I, I can imagine that there's also a process of uh, translation of concepts that happen as you are sitting on that bridge from your own individual disciplines. Um, would, would your tool ask, uh, work with also that type of translation or you would see that as something that happens in parallel or how do you see that? I think I think it's part of, of the tool. And I remember I, the, the first time I was part of the conference, I listened to a, a speak by Anna Kira and she was talking about mm-hmm. that you need to learn to uh, to speak data because when mm-hmm. I, I did my my first big field work, I, of course, I learned to speak Spanish because uh, yeah I need to understand everything and then after the conference I thought okay I need to learn to code I need to understand all these things and now I don't think it's necessary anymore because using this tool you make it clear because it's so visual that here we are talking about this do the people around this uh, touch point what do they mean and how can you translate it and as a data scientist when you talk about this uh that model uh yeah what do you actually mean do they understand each other that way you can do it very local and you can also get like kind of an overview yeah i i, I can totally follow you huh? i i remember when i was my first um my first interaction with a group of data scientists that were trying to 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 build an algorithm and they were asking me so so what type of assumptions do we turn into facts? What is fact? Because if I choose that this is a fact and this is true, then, then a consequence will happen in this algorithm. And I, I, I sat and they were asking me something and I said, I, I cannot give you this. And then I realized, oh, I don't understand what you're asking me, actually. Mm. So it, 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 it's really um, from our own disciplines. And then when they showed me something on the screen, I said, okay, this is the photograph. This is the algorithm behind the photograph. If you say that this is true, then this happens. If you say that this is true, the other thing happens. And somehow, because of the visuality of that example, 
I understand faster what they what they meant that they needed, you know, even though exactly. I did not understand how they constructed it. But mm-hmm. so. But I think yeah. the visual the visual mm-hmm. tool around this is is so extremely yeah. important. Yeah. So um, that's also one of my main messages. So I have this specific example, but it's more also about how you can use design tools to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To, to move on because I think no nobody uh, disagree that you need to uh, develop ethical and explainable and fair AI. But I think the challenge we have is how do we do it? And and one of the things in my, in my work uh, on a daily basis is like to bridge knowledge from the researchers out to uh, companies. A company doesn't read a uh, a large paper and they would like to be ethical in the way they work and in developing and implement AI. But uh, how do we do it? I think that's one of the big questions. How do we get started? And how do we make sure that uh, we do this the best way possible? And and, and Agnethe, you you mentioned earlier that... um your your target are more anthropologists but uh, or or did i understood it correctly do you do you say you know my story is for anybody also for technologists or designers or or, or stakeholders in companies or who who would be kind of like your ideal participant to to your talk i actually think it's for uh, yeah for everybody especially people working in uh, across disciplines or mm. working with applied applying AI or applying anthropology. Yeah, so so if you're interested in bridge building, right? Like bridge exactly. building across yeah. disciplines? <laughs> yes, exactly. From and whatever side. Like, yeah. uh, we move from, in using this tool, we, we move from some very deep, like philosophical understanding of a, if you talk about trust, what does it mean to trust an algorithm? What do the stakeholders think when what what does it take them to trust this? Mm. Um, and then you can go very deep into some discussions, but then you need to jump back and say, okay, now we know this, but how are we going to develop uh, an explanation or transparency, uh, this algorithm, so so it's trustful or trustworthy? Or what? Yeah. 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 Uh, what was, you know... Um in in your own process of building this, huh? What 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 was the what was the part that you struggled with the most? Where what what was the, yeah? Can you say something about that? I I know that in this process of translation and building bridges, there's also a lot of like, fail and test and fail and fail again. So I I'm really curious. Where did you struggle the most? I think uh, is about finding the right amount. Of, uh, or the right level of uh, complexity because if it's too simple it's like okay yes but there's nothing uh, interesting and if it's too complicated then um, people don't understand the idea behind it because this is also I think it's a it's a field where I think we we struggle a bit about uh, making it to make it happen to make people take the time to make this safe uh, the building of these algorithms made in a proper way. So I think there's this whole the activism part and also the academia who think, okay, we need to do this in an ethical, correct way. And then there's a lot of companies who are really 
they are driving their business and they don't have time to sit down for too long time to to think about uh, how to do this the right way. Mm. Yeah, is is it about time or do you see some other things that that, that kind of prevent this from from being more at the center? Time, time is money, money for com- companies, I think. But then I also think that uh, maybe a lot of companies don't think that it's, uh, they haven't been thinking about the consequences, that it can have a lot of unintended consequences if you don't do this the right way. You know, in, in, in my hours of dark cynicism, um, I, I, I think that, that, you know, it's so easy to use uh, ethics or ethical work as a kind of a blanket for, uh, for power accumulation. You know, mm-hmm. that you say we have so much power, you know, in this world of technology that you have a few giants that control. Um, and then you you have to be ethical because you simply have too much power. So you have to mm-hmm. somehow um, show that you are ethical, show. But but in, in, in the fact that there is this, this kind of pr- uh, burden put on you of ethics, uh, it comes with such a huge disbalance of, 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 of power that you have. Um, no, and and I, I think in in the the concept of ethics and you know has also this underlying assumptions of regulation of behavior and control and morality and policing and 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 eth- what is ethical and and who has the power to decide that uh, and to enforce that there are uh, also interesting kind of like uh, questions to ask ourselves you know when I'm in the technology space I I I, I really um, I often find myself as an anthropologist policing myself to go in that space because I tend to be so judgmental mm-hmm. and, and put this kind of assumptions um, on people and then reduce it to power and dark capitalism. And then you, the conversation mm-hmm. is, is very easily done. You know, it's 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 not it's not an open space of articulation of of, of uh, change. So no, 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 it's true. But yeah, how do you do that in your own work? Like, how do you how do you move from the space of talking about ethics to doing ethics to being ethical and and kind of really reflecting on uh, on power and responsibility and those kind of uh, 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 those kind of areas? Do you do you explore that in in any way? Yes, a lot, and I think it's a, an ongoing process, uh, especially at the moment. I think we have uh, uh, like I just think the last year a change has happened that it's it's more uh, there's a bigger interest and there's a big need from the companies to uh, to apply ethics in in their work and and there are no regu- regulations there are some regulations but not hard enough or they're not so so i think i have the feeling is that companies want to move on working in an ethical way but they they don't know how yeah yeah. So I think what what we do is like we we spend a lot of time in discussing, researching, uh, getting us inspired from researchers and from academia, and that's I think where I feel most like an anthropologist, trying to understand what's going on, and then when we you need to apply it to companies, then I I'm more in the field of design, and mm-hmm. I think how can we communicate these things? How can we make it more simple? Uh, not only communicating it, but also working with co-creation and processes. So, um, yeah, so we are working on that at the moment at, at some different uh, different projects. 
Yeah. You know, do you see any connection in exploring the space of ethics for an individual in a business and exploring it generally um, around, you know, living in society or engaging with the political system? Or I wonder, you know, this muscle of 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 of, of trying to build that bridge, right, that you use as your tool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I think that working in a company, uh, The Danish Design Center had made uh, some research. They also were going to speak at a conference. And they found out that in companies, people like they lack a language uh, for talking about ethics. And as an individual in a society, you can talk about ethical dilemmas when you see them or if you are interested in, in that part. Mm. But often when you work in a company, Maybe you have a deadline or you just want to have, you have, maybe you have some KPIs you need to reach. And, and what do you do if you think, okay, maybe this is not 110% ethical. What do you do then? Uh, and I think that has very much to do with the unintended consequences of, uh, yeah, that AI can, can have. So it's not only thinking about this specific thing you design, but you also need to think, think broader. Like the examples we have with Airbnb is not an unethical concept, but uh, yeah, is it ethical that no locals in Barcelona can afford living in a historical center? You know, these these things you need to think think about not only in developing artificial intelligence but also technology in general. Yeah. Also, because we don't have we have experience with with it, but It's still quite a new field, I think. One of the things which we uh, we also did in one of the studies, um, there was a company who made a great tool for uh, eye screening. And you, you couldn't have anything against it. But one of the things was that because of the quality of the data, there were too many f like um, false positive. And the consequence of that was uh, an increase in the waiting lists at the, the ophthalmologists. Mm. So healthy people were taking the time from people who really needed, had problems with their eyes. And and I think maybe that's not so, that's not an, that's not ethical. Yeah, if you would have instead of the algorithm, somebody sitting at a table making that uh, unintended consequences happen, would would that be more difficult for a person to 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 have that unintended consequence than for an algorithm you think so is it is it easier for 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 the algorithm to go down that space you think i think it's a that's a really really good question and i think that's one of the things i just can't say yes or no to because it's it also, it also has something to do with the the whole explanation part that is if you had the diagnosis uh, You might have something in your eye, which is maybe a false positive thing. I want to send you to the ophthalmologist. And then you will all, always, I think, as a human being, say, because I see a red spot maybe in mm -hmm. in your eye. But when it's an algorithm, it's just positive and negative. Yeah. It, 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 or, or maybe <clears throat> then it, it should be able to give an explanation. Mm. So the patient can say, okay, I'm going to the doctor because the algorithm detected uh, this or that. Maybe I should worry, maybe I shouldn't. 
<laughs> but it's, it's the same thing. You maybe sometimes you go to a doctor, you just think, okay, you need to see a specialist. And some doctors they don't give you that explanation. No. And, and no. sometimes you don't need it because maybe you you don't understand the explanation that the human doctor gives you. <laughs> so, so I think this this discussion tells yeah. very much this explainability. Yeah, but I think also maybe regulation of power, you know, like if you if you take it back to Foucault and you say you have people that are in certain position of power and power is constantly negotiated through interaction. So if you have a human being and you're sitting in front of the human being, it's a little bit like I, th- I would imagine the justice system too, right? That that, mm-hmm. that you power gets distributed in these micro interactions and, and then... It's it's a relationship. It's an interaction between the the one and the other. And the moment you you replace one of these agents with an algorithm that that can only go binary, can only mm-hmm. go polarity. Uh, and, and I wonder then what is the agency of the other one in influencing, in dis- redistributing that power in in a way that creates more ethical outcomes for the for that interaction. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and I think it's a. Uh, yeah, if you give one of the part of the research we did was like asking people what would would you prefer, getting an answer from a highly experienced uh, and that is also a very powerful general practitioner, or would you prefer to have a yeah a diagnosis by a, a very a very young general practitioner who just give you gives you the diagnosis but also an explanation. And would it be different if it was an algorithm? If you knew that this is trained on a, a great amount of data and uh, some of the best uh, researchers have said, okay, this is in 99.9% gives the correct answer. Mm. But you don't get an explanation. Would you prefer that? Or would you prefer sometimes it fails? Maybe it's 80% correct, but you get an explanation uh, so so the, the question was, it's the same thing you get, but is it different if you get it from an algorithm than from a human being? And it's also... And it yeah, is, right? Yes, it is. And it is. They prefer the human being, I think, right? Yes. Or? Yeah. And also, you know, uh, research has shown that uh, diagnosis is uh, at, at an average general practitioner gives a correct diagnosis in uh, only in 80%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes have when I'm when I'm tired or when I am stressed, sometimes I have this kind of irrational fights with CD, with my CD algorithm. And like I'm asking things that are very practical, but maybe because I'm tired, I'm saying it different. I was like, why can't you see what I mean? It's it's easy mm. to see what I mean. And then I realized, no, this is this is not a person. They can't react to my other types of cues. <laughs> so they just react to my voice. And, and it's... Uh, I just I just feel like, you know, we, we communicate to each other or we engage with each other in such complex ways that we cannot fully grasp. And and no. then somehow that richness and depthness gets, um, you expect it from the algorithm, but you don't always get it. Um, but yeah, I um, I wanted to ask you maybe just in conclusion of our of our talk to um, to see if you have anything to, to share to, to people that are potentially listening, that are interested to coming and join your talk, any, any, anything that you would like to give to them, a provocation, a question, an advice, uh, no, anything. I think what if, uh, where we are now is this question, where, where, yeah, where our conversation is now, that uh, what do you expect, do you expect from a, a human being 
And and why is it different if you get it from an algorithm to reflect upon that? And also, uh, in many ways, of course, we need transparency when it comes to artificial intelligence. But how much transparency do we really need in yeah. order to make it ethical, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you can also have transparency for transparency's reason, but that doesn't necessarily have the effect maybe that you desire. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that this tool or algorithm journey can can show that you start reflecting on, okay, where do you need explanations? Where do you need transparency? And mm-hmm. and what do you understand? And how should it be communicated in order for you to understand it and trust it? Yeah. No, wonderful. Thank you, Agnese. Our time is up. Thank, thank you so much for, for being with me today. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to joining your talk at the conference. Yeah, thank you to you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.